Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Don't miss out on your chance to listen to four-time Super Bowl champ Charlie Weiss on the only podcast solely devoted to everyone's favorite position in football the quarterback. Listen for free now by subscribing wherever you get podcasts or by going to celebrityqb.com. Welcome to another edition of the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. I'm your host, Dwayne Callender. Going to do it a little bit of an abbreviated show uh, with respect to the baseball rankings because I actually want to get into the Olympics talk. Uh, you know, it's been hard for me to kind of get involved with some of these sports just because for the life of me, I still can't figure out the appeal of skiing half pipe and snowboarding half pipe when... All the commentators seem to go, whoa, whoa, in terms of uh, analytical breakdown. I mean, it's it's fun to kind of look at, but then you realize that they're quickly plummeting to their uh, certain peril and doom as uh, if they don't land the jump and like smack their head directly into increasingly hard ice and snow, given the temperatures out there. But hey, you, you know, uh, I, to each their own, uh, but... Uh, I, the figure skating, you know, looks like it's going to be compelling. But, you know, again, I can't give a breakdown of that. What I can do a breakdown of uh, is uh, the hockey. So uh, we had the uh, quarterfinals of uh, the Olympic hockey for the men's side. Uh, Team USA lost in a shootout to uh, Czechoslovakia. Uh, you know, for the most part, it was a competitive game. Uh, the U.S. men just, you know, you could see that they have certain limitations uh, in terms of uh, overall team depth. Uh, they were very top-heavy in terms of certain lines. They had, a, they had a decent run. I mean, they just weren't expected to do all that much. So, you know, is it disappointing that they lost? Yeah, but it wasn't unexpected. So, uh, the Czechs go on to play Russia, who should be the prohibitive favorite because... Uh, you know, given the fact that no NHL players uh, were allowed to compete in the Olympics, Russia had a decided advantage because most of Russia's squad are guys who left uh, the NHL to go to the KHL, which is the Russian uh, professional hockey league, to get paid more than they would in the NHL, but they're still capable of playing the NHL, so they actually had more players that uh, would be NHL-ready than any other squad. Uh on the other side, you have Canada going up against 
a surprising performance by Germany, who upset uh, uh, Sweden uh, in the quarterfinals. So that sets up a, a decidedly lopsided matchup between Canada and uh, Germany. And Russia, well, Olympic athletes representing Russia, uh, I should say, uh, are uh, going to be playing the Czechs. They're going to be the favorites on that side. Uh, so the overall uh, matchup should be Russia and Canada, which is what people were expecting from the outset. So that wouldn't be much of a surprise. Uh, what would be a surprise if, is if somehow the semifinal matchups uh, went the way of either underdog because they should be prohibitive underdogs, uh, especially in terms of uh, actual uh, play and performance. I, I just don't see that it's uh, going to work out in uh, in Germany or the Czechs' favor. I, I just think that, you know, it's a nice story. They're going to be playing for bronze more than likely uh, to wrap up the games. So the matchup tonight that, uh, you know, Maybe most people don't actually know about, but people who follow hockey know about is the the the. I, I mean, I would call it a trilogy, but considering that the U.S. women's teams have have lost the last two gold medal final games to Canada, it you know yes they won in '98, but I mean, you know it is hard to kind of go back 20 years when no one's played on those teams. So, given the current crop of U.S. and Canadian players, uh, the Canadian women have won the big matchups, and the big matchups are the Olympics. So, uh, past two Olympic cycles, so uh, Sochi and Vancouver, Canada has beaten the U.S. team. U.S. team was up in Sochi four years ago, heading in third period. You know the story. Canada came back in dramatic fashion late and uh, won the gold medal. So, this year... You know, people have been hyping it up. NBC's been hyping it up. The problem I see is that I don't think the U.S. women are going to be able to win it. Uh, And yes, I want to be as much of a nationalistic homer as I can possibly be. But the problem is that in terms of the way I break it down, and yes, I know it's women's hockey, so I, I, I will fully attest that I do not follow women's hockey leagues throughout the country in terms of uh, the professional women's hockey leagues and the Canadian women's hockey leagues. But just watching how the tournament played, Canada, across the board, is a bigger, more physical team than the U.S. I, myself, as uh, someone who uh, watching hockey in terms of playoff hockey and sudden death hockey, to me, you always give the advantage to the bigger, uh, bigger stronger team. Because mo- uh, when you get to this level, everybody can skate. So skating, you know, yeah, you can have a slight speed advantage. But my my opinion is, if you hit a uh, hit a player enough times, they eventually start slowing down. And the biggest advantage Team USA has is they play a more finesse game. They can move the puck around. But overall, in terms of scoring uh, aptitude, Canada has them. Uh, matched up uh, pretty evenly so uh, realistically for the U.S. to win this game uh, they're going to need solid goaltending play and most of all they're going to need to convert power play chances Uh, Canada is more than likely going to rack up more penalties than the U.S. just because they play a more physical style 
So whenever the U.S. gets a power play opportunity, they got to take advantage of it. If the U.S. squanders a ton of power play opportunities, I have severe reservations about them actually uh, being able to uh, win this game. Because five on five, it's going to be tough for them to score goals against Canada. They got to take advantage of the power play opportunities when they arise. And like I said, I think Canada is going to give them ample opportunity just because when you play as physical as Canada does and you have a team with a bit of a speed advantage the way the U.S. team does, you know, that does uh, kind of lend itself to the officials giving the U.S. team a bit of benefit of doubt. But, you know, at the end of the day on the power play, I look for it to be a case of, you know, get Hillary Knight in front of that. Hopefully she can cause uh, a screen or get a deflection, something in those nature. But, like, the U.S. Team, uh, U.S. women have got to put the puck on that. I mean, I'll sound like a Rangers fan, but it's like while I'm watching this, because again, the game's at 11.30 tonight, so uh, it's a late night affair, so I, I expect most of the country to be asleep. I will be one of those crazy people actually watching this game with great interest, but uh, you know, it's one of those where I'll be screaming like a Rangers fan every time they're on the power play to shoot the puck, because to me, they need to shoot the puck as often as uh, they possibly can on the power play, because... That's the way they're going to win uh, this game. It's going to be a tight game. I think they're going to need three goals to win it. I, I don't think they can hold Canada to anything less than two goals. So, to me, the U.S. women have got to keep shooting for the puck. You know, it's just uh, it, it's a little it's a little frustrating, but I, I think it's uh, it's just one of those where you know, even if uh, you're not seeing the puck go in the back end, then the goalie's making a ton of saves you got to keep shooting the puck because, to me, that's the only way the U.S. women win this game. I just can't see them winning a five-on-five battle with Canada. they got to get power play goals early and often and try to put Canada in a desperate position where uh, they can't use the size and strike advantage uh, uh, and minimize it. If they get behind late, I I think this is a difficult spot where Canada can kind of wear them down and, uh, you know... basically break them uh so the idea overall goal is to make sure to avoid getting in the penalty box convert your power play opportunities and more most importantly try to avoid being down heading into the third because i think that the the physical game of canada will put the u.s women at a distinct disadvantage so i i think that's uh uh it's a, a dangerous spot for the u.s women to be in if they're down late so uh, we'll see how the game goes. Hopefully, it's a good affair. Obviously, I'm pulling for the U.S. women, so I'll be biased on that front. Uh, in terms of picks, you know, I'll, I'll be a homer and call for the U.S. women to win, but it's going to be a by slim margin. I, I can't see them running away from Canada, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll, gi- I'll give them uh, uh, give give them my, my best of uh, what I can do there. So uh, we'll, we'll see. But uh, anyway. Uh, moving on, we're going to get into fancy baseball now because I'm going to do a bit of an abbreviated show tonight. We're only going to do 10 more fantasy players. So we did the top 40, uh, number 40 was Gary Sanchez, uh, uh, catcher for the New York Yankees. Uh, we're going to get in a couple other folks and, uh, I say this with some trepidation because the next two players I'm going to mention are players that I would be avoiding but i'm ranking them because i know they're going to be ranked higher on other boards uh than mine but i just want to put the proviso out there of 
These are players I am not drafting. I repeat, these are players I am not drafting. But I have them here because, again, they're going to be ranked. And because I'm doing fancy rankings, I have to at least put them approximate spots of where uh, they could be going into. And just to indicate to, uh, to folks where they need to kind of be looking for these guys. But at the same time... I'm not taking a chance on it, and I'll outline why. So, uh, without much further ado, with with number 41 on my fantasy baseball rankings this year, we have Nelson Cruz, outfielder for the Seattle Mariners. You know, Nelson is pushing it up there in years, so... Nelson Cruz, uh, for lack of a better term, has been a staple of power hitting in baseball for well over eight years now, consistently. The issue with uh, being that consistent is that you get up there in age. Nelson Cruz is 37 years old. Now, last year, he still put up numbers in Seattle, despite the fact that all the demographics in Seattle say that you can't be a power hitter in Seattle unless your name is Ken Griffey Jr. So for his three-year average in Seattle, he's averaged 40 home runs with a 293 batting average, which is incredibly impressive because Safeco Field, again, is a death for most power hitters. Uh, but the issue comes to is like at a certain point, when do you hit the wall? And my thing is, I'd rather pull the plug too early, uh, a year too early, than recognize it too late. At age 37, it is going to be hard for him to duplicate the power numbers he's done the past three years, let alone uh, over the course of his career. And the fact that he's been playing as many games as he has, even with Seattle DHing him, I don't see him being able to play more than 140 games this year. And he's been averaging over 150 uh, the past four seasons. Uh, I, I think something has got to give here. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying to myself, this could be a situation where, yeah, maybe he still puts up some power numbers, but he is due for an injury. And, you know, I just can't recommend picking him. I know some folks are going to pick him and, you know, uh, believe me, I, I wish I had more regression statistics to say, hey, this is the year he's going to start reeling back. But I'm just looking at it from a common sense standpoint. He is 37 years old. I mean, you do not get better in your mid-30s unless you're on something. And, you know, yes, while the story has been that uh, uh, you can make a case that uh, something's going on with uh, Nelson Cruz, it's I just don't see anything where... Uh, you can make a case that uh, you can prove he's on something. So, to me, the natural regression should have kicked in by now, but I, I think it goes into full swing this year. So, I, I'm definitely off of Nelson Cruz. Uh, my next avoid candidate is uh, number 42, and that is Justin Upton, outfielder for the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, Upton is one of those weird cases where Yes, he's 30. He should be in the prime of his career. But Justin Upton is one of the most frustrating players you will ever see. because And it's the story every single year. 
Just enough that it will look like he's on the verge of death and that he can no longer hit a baseball for two and a half months out of the year. And then all of a sudden, he will turn it on in the middle of a month and go on a tear so that his overall numbers still end up getting you somewhere around a 265 batting average, at, uh, somewhere around 28 to 33 home runs, and he's going to steal, you know, somewhere in, in about the range of uh, 12 to 15 stolen bases uh, a year. Which, again, puts you up good numbers. I mean, he'll put up numbers, but the frustrating thing about Justin Upton is the fact that you can't trust him for at least a month and a half of the season. Probably two months. And to me, if you're playing head-to-head, that he's deaf. If you're playing Roto and you're trying to ride out the wave, I'm sorry. I, I think you're better off uh, waiting to see if his value plummets and then you make a trade with an owner that's looking to offload him because of the fact that he's not producing. So to me, Justin Upton's a, an avoid candidate just because his history has proven that he's a consistently inconsistent player and that you should not be counting on him his, his numbers from the start of the season. He usually it gets off slow and then heats up in the summer months. So why am I bothering paying a premium for him now in the draft when I could just trade for him at a discount later on in the season? All right, so moving on to number 43, we got Jacob DeGrom of the New York Mets starting pitcher. So uh, DeGrom, even though he sounds like he a somewhere around a country pop singer, uh, by and large has been a, a rock for the New York Mets, uh, I would say, in terms of just not having a pitching staff that you can count on consistently. DeGrom has been uh, more or less someone that I I would say is the most reliable Mets pitcher. Uh, Now, the question is, and, you know, with the Mets, you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. So that's what makes it the the proverbial catch-22. It's like, yes, he's on the Mets, so you know something bad's going to happen to him. But I, I like to stay on the side of, optimism and say that you know if I'm drafting it because this is about where I would start looking to draft pitchers uh, given that it's uh, you know we're almost into round four in terms of a baseball draft given that the third rank player I look at DeGrom as a guy who can get me around a three RA he can probably get even lower uh, if a lot of factors work out in his favor but, uh, you know, a 3 ERA to me is the more reasonable expectation for DeGrom. And, you know, depending on uh, just how the NL East goes, he can get you somewhere around 15 to 18 wins and a uh, number of quality starts. Because, again, the NL East, NL East is incredibly weak. And uh, you're going to have a decent whip out of him. You're going to get 200-plus two, strikeouts. I like DeGrom quite a bit. So, to me... Uh, he's a solid pick for your first starter, uh, so you don't end up reaching uh, in the in the first couple of rounds and give, sacrificing some power in stolen bases. I'd rather you get power in stolen bases than grab a pitcher early. Uh, so I would let some of the other guys go by the wayside 
And then uh, if you can get DeGrom in maybe round four, uh, go with that. So number 44 in my rankings, we have Daniel Murphy, second baseman, Washington Nationals. Now, Murphy is an interesting case here because I look at Murphy as someone, especially in the contract year, could blow up and have a monster year. Uh, my thing is Murph is very comfortable with where as a hitter at this point in his career. So he settled into his habits. He's going to get you a 300-plus uh, average. He's going to drive in a good amount of runs with Washington's offense. So he's going to be somewhere uh, in the high 90s. Maybe uh, Probably could break 100 given uh, some breaks going his way in terms of uh, RBI opportunities. And uh, in terms of run scored, uh, he's probably going to be in the 80s some, somewhere. Uh, you know, depending on if he can get closer to 600 at-bats and, as opposed to 500, he's he's definitely going to be in the high 90 category if he can get up there. The question is, is that, uh, you know, how many home runs is going to hit? Now, to me, Murphy is more of a 20-some-odd home run kind of guy. So, there are other guys you can get, but to me, Murphy is just going to be incredibly consistent, and most of his numbers come uh, throughout the year. You don't have to worry about spurts with uh, Murphy. So, I kind of look at Murphy as a solid pick uh, to cover up your middle infield. Uh, you're going to need someone to pair him with with stolen bases uh, just because he's not going to help it. You, all, uh, you, you out at all there in that department. He's got no speed. I mean, he's a terrible defender, by the way. So if your league counts errors, then, yeah, that also knocks him down a bit too. But, you know, it's not going to be the end of the world uh, with uh, Murphy. But, uh, again, a solid guy that you can pick up uh if you haven't dressed middle infield at, at this point yet, and uh, we're looking to do uh, a bat if you grab the pitcher early, which I wouldn't recommend, but uh, if you if you did that, Murphy isn't a bad option for second base. All right, moving on. This is one of my favorite pitchers and a guy that I'm definitely going to be targeting. I may even reach into the third round to get him on my roster just because I, I was beating the drum on him last year. He paid off in spades uh, in, the, in the teen rounds. And now he's, like I said, he's moving up from the teens uh, last year all the way up to a fourth and third round. Maybe some people even go crazy and rank him even higher than I do. But, you know, I, I think this is a good spot because I, I think people are expecting a regression. But again, I'll say his name. It is Robbie Ray, the starting pitcher of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, Robbie Ray last year... Uh, put on a hell of a year. I mean, basically, his strikeout ratio, uh, you're, you're talking about a guy who had Syndergaard-type numbers in terms of Ks. Uh, just in overall numbers-wise, uh, he was well over 200 strikeouts. But going beyond uh, the strikeout numbers, it was the fact that he still ended up having so few innings pitched. He was under 180 innings pitched uh, just because of... Uh, Injuries suffered due to a line drive uh, uh, hit hit to the head. So, you know, he came back. And I, I love Ray for a number of reasons. I mean, strikeout uh, per nine inning ratio uh, over 12. But, again, the humidor factor uh, for Arizona, I don't think should be under 
understated. It's going to make balls harder to travel out of the ballpark. Uh, to to me, his bugaboo last year, if he, you wanted to nitpick him, was that he did give up the home run ball a bit. So he was averaging uh, about one point uh, one point two home runs per nine innings. So uh, you know, he, you know, he he was serving up a serving up quite a, a few home runs. Uh, so he had twenty three home runs in one hundred and sixty two innings pitched. So not great, but you know, he was limiting them to. Not significant damage because his uh, his ERA was still under three, uh, and I mean in terms of uh, FIP, uh, you know he had a FIP under four. So again, there were factors involved where, yeah, you could you could make a case that yeah uh, he had some errors of weakness, but I'm I feel for especially with a power pitcher like Ray. Uh, not having the ball being able to travel out as far and with his stuff being as good as it is, uh, it's going to be harder for guys to hit the ball out. So to me, his biggest uh, area of weakness just uh, uh, got uh, mitigated somewhat by the fact that the ballpark effect is 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 going to have an impact on his number. So to me, Robbie Ray is a guy uh, that I would be targeting uh, in the fourth round of drafts and even the third round of drafts as my number one starting pitcher, just because I I look at him and I, I see a ton of potential. The only reason why I don't have him ranked higher is that uh, um, by most accounts, uh, uh, people have been slotting him uh, towards the fifth, uh, fifth and sixth rounds. I, I just think that's way too uh, way too conservative. I, I people are expecting a regression, and my my stance is. He's a power pitcher, and the ballpark effects in Arizona are improving. You should be taking him ahead of Granky, but you know, if people want to rank Granky ahead of him, that's—I mean—they're free to do what they want. But I'm just—I I look at it as a standpoint of, uh, to me, uh, Robbie Ray is a future stud in the making. So uh, that's number forty-five. Number forty-six, and this one is another. PED beware candidate, but uh, talent, uh, you know, it's hard to ignore him. It's starting Marte, outfielder for the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. Now, the issue with Marte was, again, he served a significant uh, drug suspension uh, for getting caught by Major League Baseball. Uh, Now, in terms of Marte... Himself, I mean, he's a five-tool player. He can steal bases. Uh, you know, there are a number of things that Marte can do that, you know, you're not uh, going to see from most baseball players. Now, the problem is is that uh, you have to wonder, you know, how much was that uh, PED-induced? And, uh, you know, is he closer to being... The guy in 2016 that was uh, having a 300 average, or is he closer to the guy that came back from suspension and, uh, you know, was looked lost at the plate at times? You know, he is going to be one of the interesting cases to look at uh, because, it, you know, like I, like I looked at it before, uh, we could have been fooled. I just think that he's he's got potential where he's he's gonna be putting up numbers where you can get a twenty 
20 home run, 30 steal uh, combo, which again, at, at this at this stage, you know, it's because uh, we're in the 50s, you're not going to get too many guys with that kind of potential uh, outside of uh, rookies that could just be flashing pan. So Marte has that potential. He's done it before. But again, now we need to figure out if that was legitimate or if it was uh, PED uh, uh, induced. So uh, I, I think it's more likely that uh, he had the natural ability and he used the PEDs to give himself more an advantage uh, mentally than anything else. But we'll see. Next up, we have Reese Hoskins. So technically, he qualifies as a first baseman. Uh, he should have outfield uh, potential for the Phillies uh, pretty soon. Uh, you know, Hoskins is a classic power guy, not much else. But, you know, when you have 30 home run potential, you kind of overlook those uh, items. So, uh, Reese Hoskins uh, should be able to provide you with uh, cheap power. Uh, I mean, because, uh, again, I think I have him ranked uh, more aggressively than most places. Uh, that would have him pegged in the sixth round or so. But to me, I, I think, you know, savvier, uh, savvier uh, managers are already looking at guys like Hoskins as potential sleeper candidates. So I, I look at him as a situation where, you know, try to seize on him while the iron's hot and, and go for it. Because I, I think that if you wait on him, uh, it's chance he's not actually going to be there. So, uh, moving on, we've got uh, another candidate that has me a little bit concerned. That's uh, Edwin Encarnacion of uh, Cleveland uh, uh, playing first base. I mean, the years of him getting third base eligibility are well past him. He's a first base DH now. My issue with uh, Encarnacion uh, was the fact that, you know, he's getting up there in age. How long can he put up the production numbers? Similar to my issues with uh, Nelson Cruz. Encarnacion's still a few years younger, though. He's only 35, but at the same time, uh, he's played in majors a number of years. He's gone through a number of injuries. You know, he had a relatively injury-free season uh, in consecutive years for the first time ever in his career. So, uh, no major injuries from uh, uh, 2016 on. So, to me, that screams that he's due for an injury which would be more or less along the line, follow the uh, path of his, uh, most of his career. So I, I look at uh, Encarnacion as a buyer beware candidate because the injury potential is there given his age and his uh, prior history up until uh, the past two seasons. So I, I think that uh, it's a possibility that, uh, you know, uh, Encarnacion uh, could go down with an injury in that, that definitely hampers his ability to uh, be the kind of guy that you would expect to put up uh, 30-plus home runs. So, so he's not going to help you from a batting average standpoint because he's strictly a 260-270 hitter. Uh, he is going to uh, have his fair share of strikeouts. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, uh, you're not drafting Encarnacion uh, for anything other than power and to drive an RBI. So... Uh, as long as he stays healthy, then yeah, the pick is going to work out. I just look at it as a situation where I'm not convinced that he's going to stay healthy this year. 
Number 49, Zach Greinke, starting pitcher of Arizona Diamondbacks. So, I mentioned him before because of Robbie Ray. I know most experts are taking Zach Greinke ahead of Robbie Ray. You know, I get it uh, that people are citing the humidor, but to me, the humidor only bolsters uh, the case for Robbie Ray rather than Greinke because Greinke last year cut down on the home run per nine inning. Uh, so, to me, uh, Granky was sorting out most of his uh, pitching issues uh, last year. So that's really closer to where he's gonna be as a as a pitcher uh, for Arizona at this stage of his career. Because uh, Granky, you know, is getting up there in age. He's thirty four, but uh, you know, I look at it as a situation where you know the case per nine. Yeah, it was up, but it was still less than 10 Ks per nine innings. I don't see Greinke necessarily blowing past 200 uh, strikeouts this year again. <clears throat> I think he's probably going to be closer to the one uh, high 180s or 190 range. So, you know, I I see this as um, a case where Greinke can put up decent numbers. I just don't see uh, where Greinke has a ton of uh, of breakout potential. I think he's going to be more of a you know a solid uh, mid three pitch uh, mid three ERA pitcher. Uh, won't hurt you in any ca- uh, any real categories, but you know not a very exciting pitcher. I, I would look at Robbie Ray if you're looking for a true breakout pitcher that's going to have potential to move past being uh, where I have him ranked and move into a top uh, uh, five pitcher category uh, potential. I, I just look at uh, Granky as, you know, slot him in. He should be decent. He won't uh, kill you either. So moving on to number 50. So this is a boom or bust type of pick, but we're going to go Luis Severino for the Yankees. Uh, Severino... Again, had a number of developments throughout the year last year for the Yankees to give you the impression that he could become a number one pitcher. You know, faltered quite a bit in the postseason. But, you know, I'm looking at Severino as a guy that I could see myself drafting in a few leagues just because, you know, he looks like a guy who can get me over 200 strikeouts uh, without an issue. And, you know give me performance relative to what you would see out of uh, some of the top pitchers uh, that I already mentioned in, in the top uh, 20. So uh, my my bugaboo with uh, Severino was if he could cut that on the home runs, which he did last year. So it was less than a home run per nine innings. So And the strikeout rate increased to over 10 uh, per inning. It's almost 11 uh, strikeouts per inning. So to me you have a, a good chance for Severino to be a breakout candidate if he can get a few more wins with the Yankees. The Yankees offense has the potential of doing it. If he can just manage his uh, pitch count so he can stay in games. And, you know, obviously the Yankees are going to be monitoring his progress and limiting his innings pitched uh, just because he's never pitched 200 innings in his career. So they're going to try to bring him along and stretch him out. So I think... Uh, they won't have the same innings cap uh, restrictions that they as they've done in the past. So 
we'll see where Severino goes, but I definitely see him as a potential breakout candidate. It's just that, you know, based off of the lack of history, he, you know, you could have a little bit of a decline, but uh, I, I like uh, Severino's chances to break out a little bit further uh, uh, and uh, be a standout pitcher. So that does it uh, for the fancy baseball ranking. So we're up to the top 50. You know, we're going to try to get through uh, the remaining 50 uh, the rest of the week. So uh, more to come uh, as we go along, and we'll see how uh, the women's hockey game goes. So go Team USA, and hopefully we can uh, stick it to Canada because uh, they take it so seriously that, you know, beating them would be just phenomenal. So anyway, that's all for now. talked about position in all of sports the quarterback and now there's a show solely dedicated to the most sought after role on the field celebrity qb featuring four-time super bowl champion coach charlie weiss unlike other football shows you'll get the inside scoop on all things quarterbacks like is this the year tom brady finally looks his age will dating danica patrick distract aaron Rodgers? i mean he's dating danica patrick charlie we're interested in that you know well i mean tommy's got giselle i'll (laughs) I'll take giselle okay is dak prescott good enough to win a super bowl for the cowboys which rookie quarterback has the best shot of making a positive impact in 2018 how about intellectually charlie as far as what they ask the quarterbacks to do now the game has changed but the pressure that's put on quarterbacks and it always been put on quarterbacks is tremendous Join Charlie Weiss and co-host Steve Strout on an all-new podcast from Lasting Media, exclusively about quarterbacks. Subscribe now at Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Celebrity QB, everyone's favorite position. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.